Hey, everybody, you're listening to Beyond 1894. This is the official podcast of Louisiana Tech University. I am Gavin Kelly from the Office of University Communications, and our guest for this episode is Dr. Marcia Dickerson from the College of Business. She is the Francis R. Mangum Endowed Professor of Management over there. Dr. Dickerson, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, you know, we're going to talk about uh, how you got here. Um, you've been How long have you been here at Tech? I have been here 20 years. Okay, this so fall, I got a wonderful little plaque from Dr. Geis mm-hmm. for celebrating 20 years at Louisiana Tech. Well, congratulations on that, first of all. And uh, I don't think you move somewhere and work somewhere for 20 years and plant those roots without, you know, kind of a career journey that leads you up to that point. And then you don't stay somewhere for 20 years if you don't like it. So we'll talk about that. But tell us where you're from and sort of the, the educational and career path that kind of led you here to Tech. Yeah, I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa. And I loved growing up in the Midwest. I went to undergraduate program at University of Iowa, where I majored in human resources. And that's even a little bit of a journey. How is how how is that something you landed on? I don't you you don't typically think when you're growing up like like not too many kids you ask them what they want to do and they think human resources is a major. They don't. (laughs) So how 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 did that kind of come to be? I loved education as a child. Uh, My mom teases about how I would line up my stuffed animals and pretend to teach them like I was an elementary school teacher. (laughs) And so when I graduated from high school, I thought I wanted to go into education. And English was my favorite subject, so I wanted to become an English teacher. But my mom, who did not go to college, my mom graduated from high school, got married a few months later, had me a year later. Mm -hmm. She works, and that's a whole different story. My mom uh, builds houses and works in construction. She's an entrepreneur. Nice. Right? But she said to me, that's great if you want to study English. That's great if you want to be a teacher. But can I encourage you to take one business class? I think business might be something that you would be good at. So I actually listened to my mother, Mm -hmm. and I took one business class, and I was hooked. I said, this is actually what I want to do. I love the idea of being in a business, learning about business, working with others in an organization. And I thought I wanted to do accounting Mm -hmm. because I liked numbers and I liked math, even though I liked English too. Mm -hmm. And I took my first accounting class and realized pretty quickly, this is actually not what I want to do for a living. This is not going to suit me. But I was taking my core business classes and that's when I stumbled onto management. Mm -hmm. And that made a lot of sense to me because it was a lot like education and teaching. You're helping others reach their potential. You're interacting with people. You're figuring out ways to meet goals. And it really worked for me. So I got my undergraduate degree in HR and really was interested in that, but I could not give up the idea of teaching. And research was something I learned a little bit about in my undergraduate program as well. I had been looking for a part-time job to earn a little extra money. And I'm the first of four kids who went to go to college. So there wasn't a whole lot of money for college. I had to work throughout college to support myself. And I saw a flyer that someone had put up in the College of Business at Iowa asking for research assistance. And the pay was pretty good for Mm -hmm. entering data. I was pretty good at typing and entering numbers. The typing class I took in the eighth grade was probably the most valuable class I ever took. Paying off. Um, I love to tell my students that I learned how to type on a manual typewriter. That's how old I am. And so I thought I can do this job and I can fit it around my classes. But I was working for a doctoral student in management at the University of Iowa. And I just kept asking questions about her research. Why do you think this? Why are you studying that? What, What do you expect with this? How do you set up an experiment? 
And finally, she said, you really need to get a doctorate. <laughs> and that was my exposure to the world of academia. I didn't really know anything about getting a PhD or mm -hmm. becoming a professor. I didn't have anybody in my life really who did that. That was a great opportunity for me. So I worked briefly in HR, and as much as I enjoyed it, I really wanted to teach. So I went to Michigan State University, spent five years there, got my doctorate. Mm -hmm. And at the end of those five years, I was encouraged to do a national search for a faculty job. And I was cool with that because the Midwest winters had really started to wear on me. I did not like how early it got dark. Sometimes mm -hmm. it would get dark at 445 in Michigan in the winter. I didn't like not being able to be outside. Yeah. I wanted to go somewhere south. So I applied to jobs in the south. I interviewed for jobs in the south. And my first job out of school was at Louisiana State University. Mm -hmm. And I loved Louisiana. Mm -hmm. From the very first moment, the heat didn't bother me. I couldn't get enough of the food and the culture. No and danger just, of those winters down here, by right, the way. Right, not no at all. It, it was great. And so I loved LSU. But in the end, it wasn't a great fit for me in terms of where I wanted to be long term. It's a bigger community. Right. It's a huge school, even though my degrees are from large schools. I wanted to be somewhere a little bit smaller, where I could have better networking and build more relationships. And you can kind of feel the impact that you make a little more, I feel like, on a smaller campus where you're interacting with a smaller student body, right? Definitely. I mean, the classes there weren't huge, but they right. were definitely bigger than they are here. And as an advisor who gets to see my students every single quarter, then have them in class, then sometimes they get into our MBA program. Uh, just recently, this past weekend, I got to meet up with an alumnus of the College of Business mm -hmm. and talk with him about how his business is going. That's just something you have more of an opportunity to yeah. do in a school like this. I also liked the size of Ruston and Lincoln Parish, because that's a lot more like what I grew up in. And even though when I came here, I was single, I'd actually just started dating the man that became my husband mm -hmm. when I moved here. But he had connections up here as well. Even though he was from Baton Rouge, his grandparents had grown up in Washita Parish, and they okay. had hunting land up there. He'd been coming up here since he was a little boy, and uh, this was a great place for him to settle as Just well. Just meant to be, it sounds like. Pretty much, I know. <laughs> um, so, you know, you mentioned kind of your passion for HR is what kind of started all this. I have to imagine then that now as you teach, you have a soft spot for teaching HR. Is that right? I do. I teach a lot of different classes. When you're here 20 years, mm -hmm. you get ready to do something a little different. I like changing up the classes I teach every few years. And we have such a great management department. I have worked alongside some of those folks for 20 years. Yeah. Others are, are new. But we have a lot of overlapping skills. And so we can swap out classes to keep our teaching fresh, to keep us from getting bored or burnt out with the same types of things. But teaching HR is something that I love doing. And I've really had an opportunity also to share that with the community in other ways. So for two years in a row, I've been a part of the new Louisiana Tech School of Banking. Mm -hmm. and, and the School of Banking a cool was a thing. new concept a cool to thing. me. Yeah. yeah, it was a new concept to me, but I love the idea of bringing all of these people in the banking industry together because obviously the College of Business has been intertwined with banking professionals Absolutely. for a really long time. 
But going in and being able to give them two hours worth of, here's why HR makes you a better banker. Mm. I've worked with uh, Beta Alpha Psi has a continuing education program for accountants in our community. They do that once a year in December. I've been invited to be a part of that for, I think, five years running now. I've been involved with the Rustin Farmers Market for about five years. I've served on the board there where I've done things like written job descriptions Mm. and created performance appraisals and looked at benchmarking for compensation. So this community beyond just Louisiana Tech has allowed me to teach people about HR and to use my HR skills. Yeah. And, you know, you you talk about community and you kind of mentioned that that was part of the appeal of tech in the first place. I think the university has a kind of community feel when you talk to people. Um, So, you know, you you, you say you've been a part of the, the campus, part of the college of business for 20 years. What kind of have you seen? We'll talk about kind of the college of business at large here, the kind of growth of the Cobb over these 20 years and kind of the direction that college of business is headed. Cause it's some pretty significant successes, especially lately. We, I love the college of business. And obviously we are a small part of the broader university. And I'm going to take a step back and talk about some of the management classes that I teach. I also have taught, over the many years here, Management 310, which Mm -hmm. is our principles of management class that every single college of business student has to take as part of their core curriculum. But it's also a class that is required by a number of different majors outside of the college of business. So I see students from construction engineering, from professional aviation. Mm -hmm. I see them from different programs in applied natural sciences. And In that Management 310 class, I would say about half of them are not College of Business students. And I love teaching the class because of that. Because these students just have really different perspectives. They have different experiences and goals. And being able to talk to them about this thing that matters to all of us, Mm -hmm. which is working in places where we're valued, working in jobs that enrich us and fulfill us rather than wear us down. You know, I tell my students, I say, the work that we do as managers and in HR really matters. Mm. How you pay people makes the difference as to whether or not they own a home or can send their kids to college. If you design someone's job well so that they are empowered with decision-making, they feel valued, they have adequate rest, that makes the difference as to whether they wake up excited to go to work or dread coming in that day. You know, work is a huge part of our lives. I love work. I love my work here. And I want other people to love their jobs too. One of the ways we can get people to love their jobs is through having better, better managers. Yeah. So management, of course, is a big part of the College of Business. But overall, some of the things I've seen in the College of Business that have been really exciting is uh, especially Chris Martin, our dean, who is a management person. He's fantastic. He has really invested in learning opportunities for all of us. They do a lot of co-curricular programming, bringing alumni and others in the community in to talk to our students about the world of business. So we're about to have uh, Janet Wong, one of our alumna, come back Mm -hmm. and talk about her experience on boards of directors. We had the uh, people from Community Coffee come in. I still remember one of the earliest programs we had was Todd Graves from Raising Canes came in and talked about how he started his business. These are just opportunities that we can learn from that go beyond our classes, go beyond our majors. I also want to talk a little, I've talked about the tech banking school, Mm -hmm. but our MBA program 
has really accelerated here lately. Yeah. With COVID, with the growth of online programs, we saw our online MBA really accelerate. And I've been teaching in our online MBA for a number of years. I teach human resources and I teach leadership. I'm teaching my leadership class right now. And the quality and caliber of students we have in that program is incredible. We have people with super important jobs, yes. folks who are mid to sometimes late career. And it's incredible to get the feedback from them in my management classes saying, I wish I would have known this 20 years ago. I could have made a bigger difference in my job. Or one of my favorite comments was, I had no idea this was so important. I guess you can teach an old dog new tricks. Nice. So people who are saying things like, I used what I learned in your class yeah. you know, yesterday, and, and tomorrow I'm going to learn something new, and I'm going to use that. It's, it's a real connection between what we do and what they do in the world of work. Yeah, that, you know, you, you're harping on that MBA for good reason. I think uh, recently, you know, some pretty important rankings came out, the best online MBA program in the state, that, that sort of thing. And that's not lightly given out, you know, so it's it's earned. For sure. And, and the people who teach in our MBA program throughout the College of Business, uh, they just do a great job. And, and we've had some great education here at the university to help us become better teachers in the online MBA. I want to get a give a shout out to Whitney Civil Sawyer, mm -hmm. who, and I apologize, I forgot who taught the class with her. I, I hope we can remember that and give her some credit as well. But a couple of summers ago, they created a course for faculty that would help us organize our online classes better. Mm. So the fact that we have people here in our education areas who can inform me about being a better instructor, that's super valuable. Yeah. I went through and I redid all of my online courses after taking that class over the summer, and it's made a big difference in the education of my own students. Yeah, we're, and, you know, speaking of educating your students, and, and we've talked a little bit about your specific teachings, let's kind of talk about management as a discipline. Sure. Because um, I think uh, it's easy for someone maybe outside of the curriculum, outside of the College of Business who has never taken a class to think, you take a management major if you want to become a manager. And while that's certainly a viable option, it's much more in-depth than that. And there are many branching career pathways that can come from it, right? So For talk sure. to us a little bit about kind of just management. It might be a loaded question, but management <laughs> just as a whole, as a broad discipline. So management is getting work done through others. And it sounds kind of silly to back up and give that really basic definition, but a lot of people don't have a sense of what managers do. We have managers in every sort of field, every sort of business, every sort of nonprofit. What we see lots of times, too, is that people who get a degree in a different discipline, be it engineering or anything else, what helps them move up in the organization is being a better manager. Mm. Because you've got to have someone who manages the construction site, who manages engineering, who manages in kinesiology, whatever it is, they have to manage others. We have human resources, we have entrepreneurship, we have classes in things like negotiation. So we cover a lot of bases when it comes to management, but it's really aimed at making sure that we deploy our people properly in the organization to meet our goals. So one of the things that 
I teach in my classes these days, especially in human resources, is what HR really does and why it's important. So, of course, HR is just one piece of management, but that's where most of us are also going to experience some of that management. In my classes these days, I start off fairly early with a slide that shows a screenshot of predictive text in Google. Mm -hmm. And I start out by saying, why is HR? And I let Google tell me what most people search. And it's not good. Yeah. It's why is HR so incompetent? Why is HR so bad? You know, why is HR, HR making my job worse? This is not good. And, and we can do better with HR. We can do better with management. And that really sets the stage with my students to say, we want an HR department or we want managers where people aren't asking those questions. And I think, too, you know, you managing other people is part of management, like you said. And with that, though, you're managing other people's time and their energy and their efforts. And, you know, it's a lot of pressure, I think, too. I mean, like, talk about kind of your experience doing managing and, and how that, you know, the pressure of being responsible for other people kind of can tie into it. It is. And we talked about that as a manager, you can make someone's quality of work life better or mm -hmm, worse. You mm -hmm. can make it so that they have a great day at work and feel empowered to do the things that they need to do, or they can feel like they're not getting proper information or decision-making authority. We can really make a difference in what we do. And people will remember you for either of those, by the way. They will remember they're the best manager they ever had and the worst. So it's not it's not good to be the, the, the latter there. I just recorded a lecture in my online class on leadership on giving feedback and receiving feedback mm -hmm. and talking about the importance of managers and leaders giving feedback, giving it in a timely manner, being empathetic, but also honest. It's the idea, Brene Brown says, that clear is kind. Mm -hmm. If I have to give you negative feedback that helps you improve in your job, that's actually a good thing for you right. and it's a good thing for me. And the flip side of that is I also recorded a lecture about how to take feedback, that as a leader or a manager, we're going to hear from others that we have not done something well. And how do we take that feedback, change our behavior, improve what we do, and and not make that same mistake again? Most, people, are, most people tend to get defensive, I feel like. with, oh, when, with sure. Yeah, yeah. It's just human nature, right? For sure. But the better leaders are going to take that information. Mm -hmm. They're going to... Try to listen without emotion, yeah. process that later. It's a learned skill. <laughs> exactly. Examine their own behavior. There's a, there's a lot of room for growth for all of us. And that's one thing, too, that I can talk about my path here at Louisiana Tech. Last year, I had a wonderful opportunity to take part in a leadership course. Dr. Geis asked, I think, 10 of us here at the university if we wanted to participate. Mm -hmm. We did some online sessions with leadership experts. We met as a group. I still meet with that group, learning from those folks. And you would think that, okay, I've been teaching leadership for years. I taught in our executive MBA program in leadership. What do I need to learn Wait, about what leadership? What do you have left to learn, right? Yeah. I have a lot left to yeah. learn. And I was excited to have that opportunity to learn. And in fact, one of the things that we learned in that set of sessions was uh, they talked about a conversational dashboard. How can we approach conversations as a way to drop our ego, learn from others, examine ways that we can get better? And shortly after I had one of those leadership sessions, I had an interaction with someone here on campus where I really took a step back and thought, instead of calling this person and saying, I think you made a mistake on this. Here's what you did wrong. Let me tell you how to do this. Right. 
I took a step back and I called this person and said, you're new here. I don't know you. Let me tell you who I am. I want to know about you. Mm -hmm. What's your job? How did you get here? What's your area of expertise? And I built this great foundation with her and then was able to ask my question, why did you do X? And her explanation was really reasonable. By taking a little more perspective and asking questions and getting to know her, I was able to learn more about why we went in a particular direction and help both of us meet a goal. And so I'm really thankful for that opportunity for that leadership course that taught me that. Yeah. And I think too, you know, that example you just gave the other person in that situation, when they sort of build that foundation with you as well, they feel less like you're attacking them whenever you kind of pry into the way things are being done. So it works both ways and it's just a good habit to have, I think. Um, Let's talk more about your work. Uh, we can, you know, because I think, especially for um, professors that are doing work like that, the research never stops, right? Right. And um, so, tell us, you know, as much as you can or would like to about the research you're doing now, and maybe even some research you've done in the past, if you want to sure. touch on kind of what your doctorate was on, things like that. So, just tell us kind of about the work that you've been doing. Sure. One of the reasons I came to Louisiana Tech from LSU is because we have a doctoral program in the College of Mm -hmm. Business and because the faculty were so research active. And that's actually one reason I got recruited is that the man who recruited me here, he's no longer here, Dr. Mark Kroll, Mm -hmm. a fantastic mentor, but he wanted people who were going to be active in research, but also good teachers. And I was encouraged by his desire to have me here to do that. And I've actually published with Mark Kroll on some work, so he's been a fantastic mentor. I did my dissertation on web-based training. There was very little research at that time. And that's actually where my HR work came from. I worked for a company that was turning paper-based training into web-based. Actually, it was not web-based training. It was computer-based training Mm. at that time. It was a long time ago. But there was this interest in how do people learn? How can we let people control maybe the pace of their learning or which modules they do first and does that improve how they learn. So that was my early interest. I've always how far we've come, huh? By the way. I know, (laughs) I know. And I don't actually do work in that area anymore. It's exploded. There's so much good Mm -hmm. research in that. That's not really my area. I stumbled into my primary area of research through a collaboration with a faculty member at LSU. She, I was teaching our research methods class there at that time. I still teach that class here. Research methods is things like, how do you set up a survey? How do you design an experiment? Which control variables do you use in your data analysis? Things of that nature. And this colleague, who's a dear friend, came to me at that time and said, I've got this paper I'm working on, and the reviewers of my research are saying that my data quality is bad because of this problem of having all of my same items on this same survey. They're saying I have a problem with something called common method variance, and that's really now my pet area of research. There's a belief that if we have all of the same survey items on one survey given to one person at one time, that the statistics are going to show us a stronger relationship among those items than is actually real because someone's filling it out all at Mm, one time. Okay, And that's kind of been a common belief for close to 20 years based on some pretty strong thought leaders in our field who said this is a problem. 
So I worked with this friend and colleague to say, well, I really don't know the best way to determine if you have common method variants in your data. Let's see what the literature says. And we went back and found that there were these statistical approaches that we could use to see if we could find this mysterious and unmeasurable common method variance. And we realized there was no real guide as to how to figure that out. And she said, what if we wrote that? Yeah. And I said, yeah, of course. Oh, wow. I was kind of naive. I was pre-tenure. I was- Easy uh, peasy, I, right? Yeah. Right. No problem. And we worked on this project and it took over six years to get published, which in the lifetime of management research is way too long. Sure. You know, usually a person takes six years to go up for tenure. So this was a pretty scary thing to work on pre-tenure. Part of our issue was- we were finding things that went against what thought leaders in our field believed. They didn't have data, and we did. Mm -hmm. So I felt pretty strongly that what we were finding was legitimate and was valuable. But we kept running into reviewers who couldn't get out of the mindset of what they'd always read and what they'd always believed. Right. We finally got that work published. I'm proud to say that it's a highly cited paper right now. And out of that, we've had more and more questions about this concept of common method variants that we've tackled. They've not been easy to publish. Right. We're still trying to figure out what's really going on. And there are really kind of two schools of thought. And it's been an interesting field to work in where I feel like I'm always butting up against yeah, what other challenging. people Yeah, Right. And, and I've had... I've worked with doctoral students on this. I've published a few papers with some. In fact, we just had an article published or accepted for publication here uh, about two weeks ago with one of my current doctoral students right that kind of bucks trends. Mm -hmm. So I guess without meaning to, that's where I ended up in my research. And I think, too, it's, you know, it, it goes without saying that it's good to to challenge schools of thought in that way because it's there's a science behind it right you know you're, right. you're you're working hard to you're not just saying something and then not backing it up but you know you mentioned your doctoral students and kind of instilling that same sort of you know don't be afraid to do the research that that may challenge trends sort of thing so i think that that may not always be a given you know i think uh you're not always you may come to a, a you know your mentor in a doctoral situation and say i'm thinking about researching this and it may be you may have that shut down pretty quickly so you know is that something something that like you've inspired yourself in a way to inspire others to not be afraid to kind of pursue the research that may go against those trends I, you know i look back and i'm not sure i knew any better when yeah. i started doing that research i think i was kind of naive and relying on what i learned in my doctoral program which is you write hypotheses and you have research questions, and whatever you find is what you find. Mm. You don't go in with an idea of, I'm going to determine this particular path is exactly the yeah. right way. And I think I was kind of surprised when I saw those results, but study after study after study is showing me some similarities. And I, wanna, I want people to go into research doing that. That's the way we should do research. And I think a lot of people in the field get jaded and believe that you can't get published unless you kind of toe the line or do what everybody else has done. But I'm also a realist that we are in an academic environment yeah. where we do need to have research that is valuable enough to no be No progress published. will be made if everyone just kind of sits on their hands with what's already been discovered, right? Right. But I'm also able to tell my students about the challenges I encountered. So mm -hmm. they have a realistic idea of what they're getting into and what they want to study and what it might take to 
get the publications out there that yeah. that have that good science behind them. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's very interesting. Um, I, uh, I have one more question for you before we let you go. Uh, this is, I'll kind of present this as an opportunity for you to speak to perhaps if someone's listening and is considering, maybe it's a prospective student, maybe it's somebody who's looking to get into an MBA uh, with kind of a management concentration. Uh, what would you say to those people who are kind of thinking about this as a career option about management? Kind of what's your pitch to them, the opportunities that await, you know? You're never going to be without a job. Everybody needs managers and everybody needs good managers. If you can connect with people, if you can inspire and lead them, if you can help create policies that make the workplace more effective, there will always be a role for you. And I think students go into management not knowing what do I want to do with my life? You know, do I want to work with engineers or pharmaceuticals or veterinarians, who knows, there's a place for you somewhere for sure. And I think one of the things I hadn't talked about that I love about tech is we are small enough that I do get to know my students and I know the other faculty members. If I have a student who comes to me and says, I really want to know more about this, I know who to point them to. I know who to put them in touch with. And the people I work with will give their time to a student who stops by to say, I want to know more about something. So the community that I craved when I was looking for another position is the one that I found. And again, that's why I've been here 20 years. Well, thanks for bringing it full circle there and putting a bow on it. Uh, Dr. Dickerson, we appreciate your time here today. Thank you for the work you continue to do and have done for a while here at Louisiana Tech. Um, We appreciate your time and good luck. We'll see you around. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Beyond 1894. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about this episode, you can check out our show notes. Beyond 1894 is produced by Louisiana Tech University's Office of University Communications.